Well, good morning. It's very lovely to be here this morning on a beautiful and bright Mothering Sunday. I don't know what you think, but I thought this was a bit of a strange reading for Mothering Sunday. In my Bible, it's entitled Jesus in the Temple, but to be honest, it could be entitled Mary, the worst mother in the world who left her child in the middle of a public place for three days and didn't notice. Changed the course of history and not in a good way. I know that feeling. Many of you might know that feeling. We have a particularly spectacular story of losing a daughter. We were in Rome one summer. Not a great plan, 45 degrees, full of tourists, no Romans. But we were in Rome and we decided to go to the Vatican. I don't know if you've been to the Vatican, but it is miles and miles and miles of corridors of beautiful artwork. But because there's also thousands and thousands of people, you shuffle along about 10 deep inches at a time. And at some point in the middle of this tour, we lost child number three. Truth to tell, she often gets lost. She does often. She would be the first to admit it. She often gets lost. She often loses things. And we were out of our minds. She was about 14. So there were four of us there all together. So one stood where we thought we had lost her. One raced through the crowds to the end. One, I think this was me, had to go backwards against the tide to try and find her, desperately calling her name. It was hours and hours before we eventually emerged at the end, desperate, only to find her chatting with a security guard. Mum, she said, you always told me when I was little, if you get lost, find a person in uniform. There she was. But I think maybe I'm not the only mum to have a lost child story. I suspect it's a rite of passage for many of us. So I wonder what we can learn from this passage about Jesus' childhood. We don't actually have many stories about Jesus' childhood. And this is quite an interesting one. So let's try and picture the scene. Three times a year, Jewish men were obliged to go to Jerusalem to celebrate major festival at the temple. This was a really exciting one. It was Passover and the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, which came together. And it was to celebrate the escape from Egypt. So it was one of the happiest of occasions. It might be the equivalent of our Christmas, to be honest. And it was an exciting occasion, and the men took their families with them, their children, their wives, their grannies, their aunties. The whole community would move up to Jerusalem. Lots of an extended family. Jesus is not quite an adult. He's 12. So 13 is the age of maturity for Jewish boys. They have their bar mitzvah. So it's quite interesting that he's just on the cusp of adulthood. I guess his parents thought, well, he's sensible, he'll be with auntie so-and-so, and that's how it happened, that they thought he was with the group, but he wasn't. And when they desperately rush back, there they find him sitting with the teachers in the um, porticos around the temple, which is where the thoughts of the day were thrashed out and discussed. I mean, it's probably a bit like the internet now with your podcasts and your Twitter. But that was the time where that was the time and the place where ideas were discussed, uncovered, and thrashed out. I mean, I think Mary is quite measured with her response. 
I can't remember exactly what we said to Jess, but I think it was, where have, where have you been? What have you been doing? Mary is quite measured. But Jesus' reply is not the reply of a child, is it? I think Jess probably wept. Oh, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. But Jesus' reply is not a childish reply. The adult Jesus is emerging, the man he will be. This is a bit of an announcement. I am in my father's house. We don't have any later stories of Jesus' childhood. It stops here and then it goes on to John the Baptist announcing him. So this is an announcement. This, this little snapshot is a stepping stone of Jesus on the way to who he is to become. But I do wonder what those conversations were like in bed that night, Mary and Joseph, going over and over and over. How could that have happened? And what did he mean? And what does this mean for us? Were they perhaps outraged or just relieved? Were they puzzled? They could have been hurt. They might have felt confused or rejected. And maybe they started going over remembering what a strange start they had to married life when the angel came to Mary and told her that she was going to have the baby. Or the dream where the angel spoke to Joseph and encouraged him to go ahead and marry Mary. Or perhaps they talked about the welcome that they received in the temple from Simeon and Anna when they took Jesus for thanksgiving. Perhaps they began to piece together and have a glimpse of their son's future. And perhaps in that, they began to see, as we all do, that they might have to lose something in order to step forward. So I wonder what comes to mind when you think about maturity. A rip. A rich wine, a nice red wine, a beautiful ripe cheese perhaps. Or perhaps we think of a wise, quiet presence. Or perhaps it's linked with physical age, perhaps wrinkles, frailty. I remember years ago when I was a teenager, my mum got really into a book called The Road Less Travelled. I don't know if any of you have come across it, but it really troubled her at the time because there was a chapter about ageing. And broad brushstroke picture here, it talked about how you lost things as you aged. You lost the ability to do things. You lost physical capabilities. And the writer described this as God's way of preparing us to depend utterly on him. Well, my mum was having none of this. Maturity didn't sound very attractive. And maturity certainly isn't perfection, is it? I don't know if any of you have uh, read to children or grandchildren that book about Elmer, the elephant. He's an elephant which is completely covered with patchwork because he's been so bashed about and torn and bruised that every time he has a cut, a patchwork goes on. Oddly, he's very beautiful. The Bible is quite interesting when it talks about maturity. It doesn't do the whole older and wiser thing. 
we don't automatically earn the right to be mature as we get older. This is my prayer, Paul writes to the church in Philippi, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. This is a man in prison who has suffered and been beaten and locked up, and he is praying for their maturity, that love might abound more and more and deeper and deeper. And this is really what Jesus gives to us, this relationship of unbounded love. That's what forgiveness is really, isn't it? Love overruling hurt so that community can be restored. Love overruling hurt between us and God and between each other so that community can be restored. Paul describes God speaking to him, saying to Paul, my grace, God's grace, is sufficient for you. For my power, God's power, is made perfect in weakness. The priest and theologian Richard Raw, that's a lot of bells, <laughs> Richard Raw, in his book Falling Upwards, which I would strongly recommend, Richard Raw writes this. It's a gift to joyfully recognize and accept our own smallness and ordinariness. Then you are free with nothing to live up to, nothing to prove and nothing to protect. Such freedom is my best description of Christian maturity. Because once you know that your I is great and one with God, you can ironically be quite content with a small and ordinary I. Any question of your own importance or dignity has been resolved once and for all and forever. It's our surrender to God's love, our trust in the love of Jesus on the cross for us, our continued, faithful, ongoing, brave, day after day, bringing of everything, all parts of our lives, into the light of God that allows his love to transform us and mature us. This is what produces Christian maturity, whatever our age. And let's be frank, it's hard. It's not an airy fairy magic. Continually being filled with God's presence and continually loving others is hard work. It requires self-control and patience and gentleness and perseverance. Qualities which we often don't have ourselves, but qualities which the Holy Spirit can give us. Jesus' maturity was a life of complete love. Love not just for those he liked or those he lived with or was related to or those he knew, but love for every single human being who would ever live and for every part of creation that ever sprang into being. The Bible's take on maturity is quite different to our societies. He loves us with an everlasting love. With unfailing love, he draws us to himself. And we love because he first loved us. 
trusting in living in those two scriptures, Jeremiah 31 and 1 John 4, those two things, I believe, are the maturity that Jesus modeled and which he calls us to, to know that he loves us with an everlasting love, no matter what, and to be so filled with his love that we can love completely. The two are completely connected. One without the other is not maturity. And I wonder if one or another speaks more powerfully to you. Do you know how utterly he loves you? Or do you long for more of that heart knowledge, that understanding, that feeling? What would it take for you to feel that in every part of your being? Sometimes there are things we need to lay down to surrender, to make space for us to know that love. Sometimes we have attitudes and behaviours. We might have pride or fears. We might harbour some bitterness or hardness of heart. These things can stand in the way of us knowing the deep, the depths of God's love for us. Is there somewhere in our lives where we need to hand things over so that love can overrule hurt so that community can be restored? As we lay these things at Jesus' feet, we make space for his love to come in. Or perhaps you feel you need to know more about Jesus, about the story and the facts. What is so special about him? Why can he change things just by loving us? Here we're really fortunate that we've got Bible study groups and home groups. We've got books uh, in the foyer. There's all sorts of podcasts and things we can listen to, to dig deeper, to understand more. We shouldn't let fear or embarrassment hold us back from learning more and exploring. It can be really exciting. Or perhaps you might feel that you need more help in the abounding in love. I must say my family probably think abounding in love is not always a very accurate description of me. We need to fill ourselves up with God's love. We can't muster it up. We need to fill ourselves with God's love again and again so that there's enough to lavish out on those knotty relationships, on those irritations and hurts and damage. God's love for us is unconditional and he calls us into more and more of it to experience more transformation and more freedom. He calls us to serve. He calls us to be kind. He calls us to forgive. He calls us to release. It can be really tough work. But with God, everything is possible. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. If we want to love more, we ask God to soften our hearts and give us the grace to love. So when we think of this reading, Jesus on the brink of maturity, can we lay at his feet everything that holds us back from knowing the depths of his love for us and everything that holds us back from freely loving others? Can we fall upwards into his love? Maturity is every parent's desire for their child. 
And it's God's passionate desire for us.